0: It's Monday, July 11th, 2022, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, today we're continuing our study on the book of Genesis, and specifically we will be looking at Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 through chapter 11, verse 9. You know, really our passage is the post-flood fall. That's what all of this is today. So uh, Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives— and all the animals have come off the ark, and we see kind of the beginning of the new beginning, the new creation. Uh, God had destroyed the old, and there was a new creation, and and they were coming out into this new creation, but we're going to see the fall happen again, and we're going to see the stages of the fall. First, uh, Noah and his sons, we're going to see their failure before God to honor God and to do what God had asked them to do. They can't, They can't do it perfectly. Sin creeps in. Uh, Even in creation, sin creeps in, tempts Noah, and then Ham, his son, also falls into temptation. But then ultimately, we're going to see how that leads to Man, again, seeking to go against God to build his own thing in the Tower of Babel. So we're going to see all of that jam-packed in here this morning in Genesis chapter 9, verse 18, to Genesis chapter 11, verse 9. But before we look at this, I just want to take the moment and thank the Lord publicly for what we saw happen on Friday at about nine ten central time, 10, 10 eastern time when the Supreme Court came out with their Dobbs v. Jackson decision. And it was the decision we had hopefully and optimistically longed for. It's the one we've been praying for as Roe v. Wade uh, was was defeated. And Casey versus Planned Parenthood, or Planned Parenthood versus Casey was also defeated at the Supreme Court. And brothers and sisters, we all in a sense have a new beginning and it's our opportunity now to show the church and to show the world that we love women and we love children and we want both to flourish. I was asked many times by reporters and interviewers on Friday, how will this change Lifeline's ministry? And what I want all of us to know, what I want all of us to see is it doesn't change foundationally anything that we have done at the most Lord willing, it will just bring more people for us to minister to and share the hope of the gospel and to share the hope of life and to help moms make wise decisions for both her and her child, decisions where they can flourish. And so this doesn't change our ministry. Our ministry will continue to go on, and I pray that the church would see that our ministry must continue. And I pray those that have been so, uh, for so long praying for and and working towards uh the, the, the turn, overturning of this faulty decision from 1973 will now turn their attention to changing laws in the legislature, but also into putting their faith and putting their belief into practice by standing up for women and standing up for children, not just in the womb, but also post-birth as well. And that is, that is what we've hoped for. That's what we've prayed for. But nothing changes in our ministry. We must continue with vigilance and with care, and with grace, and with mercy, reach those women, and reach those children. And so we look at our passage this morning, and we know even in our new opportunity in this post-row world that there will be failures. There will be places that we mess up, but God is faithful, and even through all the mess up, and even in the fall we see in this post-fall world, in this, this, this fall after the flood, I want us to see that God's grace is abundant and his grace is clear. And his grace is all through this passage. There's so much sin. There's so much judgment. But yet we see God's grace. So post-flood, there there was one family. We know one family left on the face of the earth. It's time to start over. And yet they weren't even hardly off the earth when the people begin to fall again to temptation and sin. And and the, the first that we see do this is actually Noah. The one who had been found faithful to God. He's the first to fall. He's the first to succumb to sin. This just goes to show us that no man is perfect but fallen. We need to remember at this point that the Bible is not prescriptive. So, what we read, even that Noah does, that's not the Bible prescribing Noah's behavior. No, it's descriptive of the failure of man to follow fully the commandments of God so that ultimately, we see, and here's the grace a substitute is needed. So when we see these descriptions of fallen men, we know it's not prescriptive. It's also not for us to go, oh, well, if it's okay for Noah and Ham, then it's okay for me. But it should break us to the point of knowing that is us. And yet Jesus' grace was good and abundant. And so when we see God's grace for the sinner, when we see God's grace for the fallen, may it Spur us on to holiness. We spur us on to to seek after God fully because of how good his grace is. So we pick up Genesis chapter 9, verse. 18. So the covenant has been given, this covenant of the rainbow. And God had said in verse 17, this is a sign of the covenant I established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. And, and we've talked about that last week, but ultimately we see this covenant, this bridge, this new creation. I'm doing all things new. I'm never going to flood the earth again, but I'm going to use you, Noah, and I'm going to use you to make my glory known. But we see verse 18. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. Now, this is a foreshadowing because we know that throughout the rest of the Bible, the, the Canaanites were, were enemies to the Israelites. And so right now, we know something's going to happen with Ham, or at least with his son, Canaan, that would curse the Canaanites. So, verse 19, these who were the These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Now, do you hear that? They were dispersed. From these came all forth, all the people, and they were dispersed among the whole world. We're going to see here in a minute in chapter 11, the people don't want to be dispersed. But ultimately, as we see over and over through God's word up until this point, God has given this command, and it's been be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. In other words, be dispersed, go and spread my glory through all the earth. Don't stay put, go. Right here, all the people were dispersed. It's an important word. If you mark, circle, or underline, this word dispersed is a very important word, and you're going to see it come up. Verse 20, so Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. So, right, for many years, over 500 years, he'd been building an ark. Now Noah's looking at what's my post ark profession going to be? And it says here, he was a man of the soil. He planted a vineyard. And then he drank of the wine and became drunk and laid uncovered in the tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and he told his two brothers outside. So he sees it, and he goes outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment. They laid it on both their shoulders, and they walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backwards, and they did not see their father's nakedness. But when Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. Oh, he goes straight to the son. A servant of servants shall be hit to his brothers and he also said blessed be the lord the god of shem and let canaan be his servant may god enlarge japheth and let him dwell in the tents of shem and let canaan be his servant and after the flood noah lived 350 years and all the days of noah were 950 years and then he died so right off the art we see that noah became drunk and this passage shows us that this could have been the first time right? The, the way of the passage actually says he became a man of the soil and then he planted a vineyard and he drank of the wine. So, so this was the, the first time potentially. So rather this is the first time that Noah became drunk or if he, this would become a, a common practice, we do not know. But what it certainly does show is a lack of control and a lack of discipline. But then we see Ham doing something that he ought not to have done. And brothers and sisters, this was not just walking in and oops, seeing his father naked, right? I remember in our old home, we had a glass door on our shower. And part of the reasons that, you know, this may sound simple, but but that we knew we had to move is we had two bathrooms and Caleb was using one and I, Ashley and I were using the other and a solid glass door so you could see everything in the shower. And my girls would come in and go out like there was no tomorrow. And we know we've got to right this wrong. Like They can't just come in and see their father in the shower. This is not that type of innocent, uh uh-oh, my daddy's in the shower, right? This is he goes in, he sees the state of his father. He sees the nakedness of his father. And then he begins reveling in what his father has done. So he starts mocking and reveling in his father's drunkenness. Instead of feeling shame and the brokenness and then starting to honor his father. No, Ham reveled in his father's sin and he even tried to bring in his brothers. So when, when Ham goes out, it says he goes out and he told his two brothers outside. This is more than a simple, hey, dad's naked in there. This is a guess what dad has done. Look at how what a fool he's made himself to be. Ham humiliated and he dishonored his father and he sought to make his brothers a party to that humiliation. But instead, Shem and Japheth made every effort to avoid seeing Noah's naked body and they approached him backwards. And it wasn't just not to look upon his naked frame, but not to see their father in this state. They wanted to cover him up, to get him out and to save his dignity so that so that others would not see him drunk, so that there would There there would not be a mockery made of their father. And this is in sharp contrast to Ham's actions. As the brothers honor their father, despite his foolish behavior. So just off the boat, again, sin is abounding. And it's right off of the creation, right? Noah wasn't tempted. He didn't eat something he wasn't supposed to. No, he off the land became drunk. A lack of self control, a lack of the ability to, to be disciplined. And off the boat, sin is already abounding and spreading. It's gone from the father into the son. And now Ham is cursed and his son Canaan, and that line has been cursed. And then we pick up in Genesis chapter 10, and we see from this fall that God's goodness is still good. And we see the generations, instead of just, just, bringing some other type of annihilation and going, okay, this just isn't working. God in his grace gives descendants to Noah and to his sons. And even to Ham, we see here, Ham, verse six, the sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan, and then the sons of Cush. So, so even through that, he goes on, it says in verse nine, that, that Nimrod was, a, was the first to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Then from Ninrod, you see the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. and we're going to see that here in a minute. But, but we see even Canaan, we see his descendants. Shem has descendants. And then in verse 32, it says, "These are the clans, the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies and their nations, and from those the nations spread abroad to the earth after the flooding. God's abundant grace. Noah fails. Ham fails. Of course, Shem and Japheth, they would have failed. It's just not recorded. But yet, God in his goodness continues to give them a lineage, continues to give them a genealogy, continues to give them a family. God in his grace is spreading his glory through imperfect people to the face of the earth in order that he may show his grace to those imperfect people. But then we come to the Tower of Babel. Now, if you're following, Noah gets drunk off the land, Ham uncovers his nakedness. Ham's descendant, Nimrod, is the one who starts, the begins the, the Tower of Babel, the community of Babel. Verse 11, chapter 1. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they, made, and they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, as this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the languages of the earth, and from there the Lord, here's the word again, dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Babel in Hebrew sounds like the word confused. He confused them. He confused their language. He confused the people, and he dispersed them. So we see that the people, first, they they didn't want to be dispersed. Look at verse 4. It says, Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed. But ultimately, we see in verse nine that the Lord disperses them. So he brought Ham and Shem and Japheth and their father Noah and their wives off the boat in order to be dispersed. And then we come right here, Nimrod to his city, and they do not want to be dispersed. They were struggling. These people had struggles. And they're not dissimilar to our struggles. We three three struggles that the people here at the tower had that we also see in ourselves. Their first struggle was the struggle for security. Verse 3 tells us that they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. They were trying to build security with brick and stone. They wanted a fortress and a tower that would bring defense against neighboring nations. They wanted to try to make their own security. They weren't looking to God for security, the God that had made them and formed them and created them and let them multiply. Not the God that had provided creation for them, not the God who was going before them, not the God who wanted to be to them and walk with them in the cool of day. No, they were looking to the created things for security but we know that genesis was written by moses and moses the author of this passage actually begins to mock the people you see they are building with brick and tar bitumen this word here for mortar they were using tar for mortar think about the area that this was being built this tar would not last this tar would not be strong Instead of stone and mortar, they were using brick and tar. They were building things. They were building their security with things that would ultimately fail and were failing. You see, that's not unlike us, beloved. We try to build our security with the things around us. And ultimately, not even the strong things around us. We pick the the things around us that cannot even begin to to start to, to prop us up. We try to look at our bank account, or we try to look at our health, or we try to build up things or, or wealth or, 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 or any types of things for security. Just if I could just have this, then I would be happy. If I could just have this, then I would feel secure. But those things will always fail and they will always fall. Brothers and sisters, we can only find security in God. We can only find security in Christ Jesus. But the the second thing that they were struggling with, that we struggle with as well, is their identity. Look at verse 4. These are the people of God made by God for God, for his glory. And yet verse 4 says, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Why? And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed. The people were looking to make much of themselves as opposed to making much of the Lord. They wanted to live independently of God, and they ignored that they were underneath his authority. They were trying to live outside of God's authority. But we also try to stake our identity, our value, and our worth in what we achieve instead of resting in whom we belong. Instead of Being happy, instead of being joyful, instead of being secure in their identity in God as God's people, they wanted to accomplish something. They wanted a work, a work of art, a work of magnificent building and architecture to make a name for themselves. Brothers and sisters, beloved, we don't need to make a name for ourselves. We need to make the name of God famous. But then, third, we see in this passage, The third struggle that they had that that we also share is the the struggle for control. Their motivation was lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, do you remember in Genesis chapter 9, that word that you underline, underline it here as well. Three times in this passage, we see this word dispersed. They come off and it says, these are the people of the whole earth were dispersed. These were the people that were to be dispersed. They don't want to be dispersed. They were living with fear and insecurity. They wanted to control their own destiny. They didn't trust God to lead them. And brother, the truth is we are all deeply afraid and insecure. But ultimately, they were looking for control. They were trying to hold on to things with sweaty palms. They wanted to be in control. But verse 9, which we looked at just a minute ago, we already see it ultimately the Lord was in control and he would show them that he was in control. They didn't want to obey him and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. No, they wanted to stay put, but beloved, we see that the Lord would bring destruction, confusion and take the people exactly where they didn't want to be dispersed Verse nine. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Beloved, this shows us time and time again that the only place we can find peace, grace, and security is in the name of God. God's response to Babel shows us ultimately the Lord had to stoop down, verse 5. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower, verse 5. And this great work that they thought they were building was microscopic to the Lord. It was like a Lego house to God. He looks at it. And it's not even all that impressive. So God responds with judgment. Verses seven and eight, we see God's judgment. But his grace and his mercy were wrapped inside of his judgment. Verse seven, come, let us go down and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth and they left off building the city. Why? Because of verse six. God's judgment was ultimately to protect them from themselves and to point them away from reliance on their own strength and ability and back to the mercy of God. Look at verse 6. The Lord says, behold, they are one people and they have one language, as this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Oh, God's judgment was ultimately to protect them. And beloved, God's judgment for us is ultimately to protect us as well from ourselves ourselves. And to point us away from our reliance on our own strength, ability, but to ultimately point us back to the mercy of God. And just like these people, our earthly success is laughable. Because we're just changing the scenery and the accessories. We're trying to make ourselves look more successful or more holy by changing our behavior. But the problem is not our behavior. The problem is our heart. We need Jesus and he will accomplish his purpose apart from man's rebellion. And so we see that, that ultimately God cannot be thwarted, his plans cannot be thwarted. He will have his way, and this is his grace. He is saving us from ourselves, he's saving us from the penalty of our sin. God has told his people continually to babble, to go. God was commanding a kingdom building, and yet they were staying put. Verse 2, it says, They found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there in the land of Shinar. If they wouldn't obey the Lord and spread his glory to the nations, then he would have to disperse them. And so his judgment was actually getting them to do the very thing that he commanded them to do. They were ignoring the commands of God. And he was judging them, but his grace was right in the middle to put them back in line with his commands. And we do the exact same thing over and over. We ignore the commands of God or we make them into what we want them to say. We are called to obey the Lord fully. And Jesus came not only to redeem us because we couldn't follow the law fully, but also to reconcile us to the ways of the Lord, to put us back on the path of obeying the Lord. But just, again, when creation looked completely off the rails and in free fall, you have the people completely disobeying God. Now you have their languages confused, and now they're being dispersed and not dispersed with one accord and one language to be able to work together to fulfill to fill the earth and to fill the earth with the glory of God. Now they are confused, and their language is confused. Sally Lloyd-Jones tells uh, the Jesus, in her Jesus Storybook Bible about the Tower of Babel, It's kind of funny. She said, so someone could say, how is it today? And they would think you're very ugly. They couldn't understand what each other was saying. But things weren't completely off the rails. Why? Because then we see, again, Shem's descendants. Shem. And one of the brothers, Shem and Japheth, who had honored their father, Shem's descendants. And what we see in Shem's descendants is they would ultimately lead to Abraham. And what do we know about Abraham? He would ultimately lead to King David. And what do we know about King David? He would ultimately lead to Jesus. Beloved, God is not afraid of our mess, but instead he redeems our mess and makes something beautiful. God is always at work, even when it doesn't seem like it. He's at work through the messy and the hard, the broken and the bruised, and throughout all sickness and loneliness. We serve a God who is making all things new, even those things that our prideful and arrogant sin has destroyed. So, God would truly redeem and reconcile the Tower of Babel. And we see two places in the Word where this reversal begins to take place. If you have your Bible, flip over to the right almost to the end of the Old Testament, to Zephaniah, Zephaniah, then Haggai, then Zechariah, then Malachi. So if you're at Malachi or if Matthew in the New Testament, flip over four verses or four books to Zephaniah, Zephaniah chapter three. I, wanna, I want you to see God's grace in Zephaniah through the prophet Zephaniah. Look at verse nine, for at that time, Verse 9, Zephaniah chapter 3, for at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. And on that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst the people humble and lowly, and they shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord prophet seeks a historic day and a future day when the language would come back together and all the people would once again praise the lord but don't miss verse 10 from beyond the rivers of cush now if you go back to that genealogy genesis chapter 10 you see that the sons of ham the cursed one the one who reveled in his father's sin the first son of ham is who cush in other words God is saying, I'm going to restore the Tower of Babel. I'm going to restore you from your sin. I'm going to restore you from your want of control, identity, and security. Even Cush, even Ham, even Canaan, I will renew them. I will reconcile them. You see, the Lord takes away our self-security, our self-identity, and our self-control. And he ultimately replaces it with dependence. Verse 12, he he redeems the people, even Cush. And then he leaves in their midst the people humble and lowly that they should seek refuge in the name of the Lord. When Jesus redeems us, he takes away our pride, he takes away our arrogance and our manufactured identity. And he leaves us humble and dependent on him and him alone. And these are the people that the Lord uses. Humble and dependent people. And so, beloved, even on Friday, when we see Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey overturned, and we see a, a new beginning in our nation towards abortion. Beloved, we can't go out now with haughtiness, with pride, with arrogance. Can't go beat people over the head with the word of God, but we have to come humble. Dependent on Jesus, showing the love of Christ to the vulnerable woman, showing the love of Christ to those women who are potentially very scared and uncertain. There are women that are probably scared and uncertain, even from the reversal of Roe v. Wade, because they don't know where their hope is going to come from, because they don't know the author of true hope, and we do. And so as a humble people, as a dependent people, we go. And we disperse the glory and the name of God to those who are vulnerable, to those that are hurting, to those who are in need. But then one last place where we see the Tower of Babel reversed, and that's in Acts. We see in Acts 1 and 2 that the people are given language, and they're dispersed. They're given a new language, and yet they're dispersed. But this time not dispersed as a result of judgment. They're dispersed on mission. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 4, it says, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, Arabians, we hear them telling in their own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? We hear them telling in their own tongues the mighty works. Of God. You see, beloved, God came down again, but this time to suffer on a cross, to take the wrath deserved from our rebellion, so that ultimately his grace could be poured down upon us and we could be sent on his mission. We are sent on mission with his name, an unshakable identity, an impenetrable security, and under his almighty control. Beloved, we are seeking for identity. Our identity in Christ is unshakable. We're seeking security. Our security in Christ can't be penetrated. And ultimately, we're looking for control. But we can only find rest in his almighty control. Beloved, God loves us without any of our accomplishments and despite our unfaithfulness and our failures. His grace is sufficient to save us and to send us. So now let's go and let's take this message of his amazing grace to the nations. After Pentecost, Peter begins his sermon. And in verse 38, in the midst of his sermon, Peter says this. Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, at the Tower of Babel, everything was confused. After the flood and the recreation, sin began to mar even that new, recreated earth. Noah the man who God had sought after to be the one to build the ark, he's the first to fall. Then his son falls. Then generations are cursed because of that fall. But ultimately we see in Zephaniah that even all the way to Cush, that the Lord is redeeming it all. And then in Acts, all the way to Cyrene and Egypt and all the descendants of Shem, Ham and Japheth, they're brought in The language can be heard. And the language is that sweet, amazing grace of Jesus Christ. And so the same calls for us. We, underneath the forgiveness of sins from Jesus Christ, are to go and spread his glory. So to all of those who aren't excited about Friday's decision and the overturn of Roe v. Wade, Let us take the grace of Christ Jesus. Let us show them the goodness of Christ who made babies in the womb, who knit us together in our mother's womb. To all those vulnerable women and children, let us show the name above every name. Let us be dispersed to display the glory of God.